Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another FUDS on Film podcast. My name is Scott Morrison. Joining me today, the rowdy doddy piper to my Hulk Hogan, is Drew Tavendale. I assume that's a wrestling reference. <laughs> yes. Uh, Hello. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it is. Oh, you're giving me away <laughs> my lack of knowledge this early in the podcast, Scott. <laughs> yes, we, today we are talking a little bit about the glamorous world of professional wrestling. Specifically, we're going to be discussing Beyond the Mat and The Wrestler. Primarily just because it sort of follows on from our sports episodes, and also because since I first watched Darren Aronofsky's uh, the Wrestler back in 2008, I've always wondered if he'd seen this 1999 documentary Beyond the Mat in his preparations, because there seems to be more than a little bit of commonality between it. So yes, this seems as appropriate a time to explore it as any other. Now, perhaps a bit of background, I'd not exactly call myself anything more than an extraordinarily casual wrestling fan. I might watch a couple of events a year if I hear good things about it, and that's not happened often this decade. So, from previous discussions, I think it's fair to say that Drew has a healthy disregard for this no longer pretending to be a sport. You could say that. I do remember as a kid watching professional wrestling on ITV, mm-hmm. and, and such strong memories of that of Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks and Kendo Nagasaki and Jimmy Hiroshima and whoever else were in it and very strongly for for a long time till i found out that it was what it was actually called and that was the triumphal march from Ayide by Ayide Ayida by verde that i always associate that music that's the wrestling music you know, from a kid yeah. and then and i think sort of that kind of age the the ludicrous nature of it the not at all convincing in any way movements that most of it consists of yeah that's fine um and then having seen some archive footage on various clip shows and things later on in life, I watched this. <laughs> really? <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> I don't like wrestling at all. And I know many, many people do. And a lot of people that actually listen to a show I know are big wrestling fans. I just don't see the appeal. Yeah, I probably had much the same experience as a kid because I, I, I do remember watching the, the old World of Sports stuff on ITV, but uh, that soon shuffled off its mortal coil and... I didn't have access to cable or satellite television for the premium WWF product, which was basically killing everything else at the time uh, with your Hulk Hogan's and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I basically just fell out of it until around about the end of uh, the university career would have been like late 90s, early 2000s when the actual year was kicking off and basically wrestling kind of made a bit of a comeback after its sort of heyday with Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior and all like after there was a bit of a trough and then it kind of picked back up again with the likes of um, The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. And um, at that point, it started showing up again on Channel 4 in some regard, and that kind of was enough to of a hook to kind of drag me in. And we'll probably talk a bit more about it as we're going to get into Beyond the Map, but yeah, the, the pageantry of it and the sort of ludicrous soap opera nature of it and just the athleticism on display kind of did win me over a little bit and I went back into it for a while but mainly it was because I found some of the characters interesting and funny which is really the reason you like pretty much anything um, if you find something that you can appreciate in the characters that are going on in there. I'm glad you mentioned soap opera because that's exactly the phrase that's been going in my head in the last couple of days thinking about this because the writing and the acting is on a level with a soap opera and yeah. that's not a good thing. And I know people love soap operas. And sometimes I understand why they get kind of hooked by the the stories, etc. But mm. for me, soap operas leave me cold, as does the soap opera of wrestling. I've certainly never really been a big fan of Coronation Street or like, but I, I probably would have given it more of a time of day if Rita from the corner shop was power slamming someone through a table. You know, poor Norris, as he gets uh, <laughs> Hurricane Ranad off the top rope again. 
I think the two films that we're talking about today, well, certainly Beyond the Mac kind of covers some of the peak moments of interest and in, I think a lot of people's views of wrestling. The wrestling's never been as popular since from the kind of Attitude Era that is kind of covered in Beyond the Mat. So it, it's certainly an interesting place to start. I'll probably switch between calling it WWF and WWE many times throughout the course of this. I'll probably try and stick with WWF because that's what it was at the time of Beyond the Mat. But of course, since then, they've lost that fight with a panda. So now they have to go by the name of World Wrestling Entertainment. So may bear with us if we switch through those inter- interchangeable... Is that a panda gag? <clears throat> it is a panda gag, yes. <laughs> The best kind of pun is a panda bun. Yeah, so I think we may as well start with Beyond the Mat, which opens with the standard defence for an adult wrestling fan, although I've always thought that the said defence should be go f- fisherman suplex yourself, I like it. Um, <laughs> if, if you like something, I don't think you should really need to make an awful lot of apologising for it unless it's actually illegal. I suppose it's worth repeating for those that look down their noses at wrestling, uh, and there's plenty of reasons to do so, but a lot of the most common ones are pretty stupid. Yes, Everyone does know that it's fake, unless they're either very young kids or of equivalent mental age. The best comparison I can think of is that of a magic show. Uh, just as that audience does not truly believe that the assistant has been sawn in half, <laughs> this audience does not believe that this is a real fight. A willing suspension of disbelief was key to the historical success of the business, although that rather changed when Vincent Kennedy McMahon's WWF expanded rapidly, making an outright push for the young kids demographic, and then went from state to state in the 80s declaring that it's all a work because he could pay less tax that way if it wasn't a proper sporting competition. That aside, and you may still think that it's a silly profession, and indeed it is, particularly if your mental image of wrestling is still from its first heyday of the 1980s when Hulk Hogan was ruling the roost. And that showed that even then, income inequality was a real concern, with many wrestlers having to work two jobs just to get by. So you wound up with wrestlers such as Isaac Yankum, the wrestling dentist, or Sparky Plug, the wrestling NASCAR driver, or Doink, the wrestling clown, or Repo Man, the wrestling... well, Repo Man... However, some people considering it silly does not stop other people enjoying something, as video game fans will attest. At any rate, Beyond the Mat is screenwriter Barry W. Blaustein's attempt to find out what drives the wrestlers to put their lives on the line, throwing each other around a place for our benefit. What's made this documentary interesting for wrestling fans is that Blaustein somehow achieved a level of access into the normally closed shop of WWF that has, with the exception of Wrestling with Shadows, never been seen since with any subsequent documentaries being a rather more sanitised, WWE-friendly affair than this more honest, if not exactly comprehensive look, which is probably the reason that it's never been repeated. There's a few main strands to the piece, but most roads lead back to the Federation. We are introduced to small-time wrestling promoter and training school owner Roland Alexander, trying to secure a tryout for the WWF for his two top talents, Tony Jones and Michael Bodist, and we discuss their hopes of making it into the big leagues. Uh, While they're there, we run into another lead of the piece, Mick Foley, or Cactus Jack, or Mankind, or Dude Love, or Mama Foley's Baby Boy, depending on which era you you catch him in. Um, After a career of taking the most ludicrous bumps of them all, he's the WWF champion and about to make a concussion-tastic I Quit match with Dwayne The Rock Johnston, who may be a familiar name to some filmgoers. Also employed by the WWF but looking to move up the pecking order is Darren Drozdoff, a former NFL player who McMahon sees as a future star based on being able to market his ability to vomit on command, which if nothing else proves that he's not infallible. The remaining two threats concern former WWF stars, well, sort of, Terry Funk did appear at WWF, it was never really mainstay, but uh, Jake the Snake Roberts was, and his then current state of drug addiction, while still wrestling for small promotions, is a sorry sight to see. 
Meanwhile, Terry Funk's long career of taking damage, always as severe and often much more bloody than his friend Mick Foley's coming to an end, sort of, after his appearance at Young Upstart Promotion and Havage for Garbage Hardcore Wrestling Extreme Championship Wrestling's first pay-per-view, which was impressive for someone whose knees were in much worse condition than Bruce Wayne's in The Dark Knight Rises. Now, I think this is pretty obviously an interesting bunch of things for any wrestling fan, lapsed or otherwise, to watch, so I'll probably not talk to you lot any further if that's alright. You've either already seen this, or you should do so forthwith. But how does it fare for people who don't care about wrestling is the more pressing question, and perhaps we can answer that between us. But first, let me say that if this is interesting to anyone outside of wrestling fans, how much credit should go to Barry Blaustein is up for question, as in the main, what he's done is turned up and filmed things. And perhaps that's enough, but of his stated aims of digging deep into the motivations of wrestlers, there's not a great deal of process made more than some superficialities. Jake Roberts seemed content to share some dark history that might explain how he wound up where he did, but there's none of the investigation shown to give us a narrative on it, no examination of the pressures he's under, or his drive to perform, or the WWF scandals which would have played into this or his life on the road, or his painkiller addictions, etc, etc. Closest we get to any sort of questioning at all is showing Mick Foley the footage of his family's reactions to the Brutal High Quit match, but even then there's very little follow-up to it. As a documentarian, comedy scriptwriter Barry Blaustein perhaps is not the most rigorous. He has, however, got lucky, inasmuch as the bulk of the wrestlers featured are great characters and at interesting times of their careers and lives, so it's interesting almost by default. As to how things turned out, neither Tony Jones or Michael Modest made it to the big leagues, and Draws was sadly rendered quadriplegic after a botched powerbomb shortly after this film's release. Jake Roberts went even further off the straight and narrow than this film shows before laterally getting himself sober, and Mick Foley stopped wrestling full-time in 2001, although he regularly comes back for some featured feuds and laterally various non-active on-screen roles basically to the day. As for Terry Funk, this film notes that his first retirement lasted all of three months. His most recent retirement match was on the 24th of October 2015, at the age of 71. He is insane. There's probably a checklist you could run through against the craft of documentary filmmaking that Beyond the Mat would fail against very hard indeed, but almost in spite of itself, it's wound up being quite interesting. I'd recommend this to general audiences with little hesitation, but I have some small amount of skin in the game, I suppose. Uh, maybe, Drew, do you want to give us a bit of an insight as to how that appeared to a non-wrestling aficionado? Okay, how to phrase this without trying to sound dismissive, which is not what I intend to do, but I, I don't like wrestling at all and I don't understand the appeal of it uh, and that's fine there are lots of things I don't understand the appeal of and probably lots of things that I would like people to understand the appeal of that's fine like I said earlier I just find it like you know on a soap opera level terrible acting terrible writing terrible performances and nothing in this film really changed my mind about that or explained to me why people like it or why people do it and that's what's really missing for me mm. As a film, I don't think it's particularly well made, and I would really love if he'd found a cameraman who could actually use a camera properly. You know? <laughs> yeah. Documentarian doesn't mean that you have to have stilted um, zooms or um, completely shaky cam. It just it's handheld. It doesn't mean held in a shaking hand. You know, you can do these things well with this the camera work and the wrestler, for instance. He doesn't really seem to explore much of what's going on here. I'll go back a bit in my own history in terms of thinking about wrestling. I was one of those people that do, dismissed it as fake. Um, and it's really, I've come to realise that it's not the appropriate word. But I watch that and I see them pretending to hit people and it's not in any way convincing. But the bits that do look convincing, the bits where people are genuinely in danger of being harmed, 
Mm. And and I want to know why people do that, why people like that, because I I can't stand watching it. Uh, I don't want to see people covered in blood. Uh, people taking razor blades and, and cutting themselves or getting covered in barbed wire and being covered in blood. And that's not something I really want to see. Mm. What I will mention, and because I realise this is possibly a bit of cognitive dissonance going on, though, I like boxing, where people are actually trying to genuinely hurt other people. And while there's blood, it's possibly slightly more insidious than that the real damage is the unseen things that are going on in the brain. Yeah. Um. So I know that's a bit strange. But in boxing, it's the actual contest that you don't know who's going to win and that you don't know how it's going to go. Whereas while interesting, it's, it's improv really, but with a, an idea of where you're headed towards. It's these people are doing such crazy things to their body and I don't really know why and this film never answered that question for me. I mean, I think I've, I've said this before, but largely wrestlers are stuntmen um, with all of the attendant danger that that has. You know, if something goes wrong, people are going to get very, very hurt. But usually where I like to see stuntmen is to, for instance, in a film where they're trying to sell something and tell me a story in an exciting way. Nothing in wrestling I find exciting or interesting. So I think it's dangerous stunt work in the the service of nothing good, nothing interesting. So you've got these people, this, what's the guy, Mick Foley? I, I, yeah. I genuinely don't know these people at all. I've heard of Stone Cold Steve Austin and I know Dwayne Johnson and I'm glad to see that Dwayne Johnson now is considerably better at the whole acting business than he was in the clip shown in this because he was terrible um, in his performance, but... Uh, I don't know the other people at all, but uh, Mick Foley, who seems like a nice guy. And then he's he's getting hit in the head by things and he's getting himself covered in blood. And it seems like two different people are completely divorced from one another. And I would love to have seen some exploration by Blaustein of how he reconciles that, why he does what he's doing. And the closest he comes is when he shows him the footage of his children at ringside. Um, which seemed a bit contrived at first and actually made me deeply uncomfortable that those young children were watching these things being done to their father. I, I could barely watch that scene. And if that was in any way true, then I, I consider that their parenting skills are not brilliant. It's maybe you shouldn't take your five-year-old daughter to watch you being smacked in the face by a man with a chair, you know? Um, hmm. That's it. And then when he's shown the footage later, they, they show him. Um, and I was watching his face and rather than being horrified by it he seemed largely amused maybe wryly amused but not like shocked or anything and I don't I don't think he was doing it now it's not like he was a psychopath or anything that, that it was okay but it's like he didn't really see a problem with that and I would love some exploration of how he can seem so normal and then go and do something so almost psychotic seeming for his job I mean, you're right in as much as Blaustein doesn't ask any questions. Yeah, that's the big problem. All this film, film. I mean, it doesn't seem like he's. I mean, okay, maybe he's prompted stuff off camera that's not put on the screen, but I don't think he's done that. I think he's really just shown up with a camera and just followed people around for yeah, a while. Yeah. Um. He, for someone whose stated aim was, I want to work out what makes these people ticks, he's failed completely in this film. Mm-hmm. And also, what really annoys me is that essentially, I mean, I didn't even cover all the strands that, that was covered in this film. There's a few other things that just, that, he's, that have no payoff whatsoever. Things like um, accompanying New Jack, who's a total psychopath, to his screen test and things like that, which 
doesn't go anywhere apart from those couple of scenes and it just really shouldn't be in there at all. Uh, there's about five documentaries in here that I would like to see all mixed into one 90 minute uh, experience which doesn't cover anything more than the real superficialities of anything. That's what I find quite frustrating because there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that I would really like to see. Mick Foley, I've read his many volume autobiographies by this point and I've kind of got a bit more of an inkling of how he, he kind of squares that circle with himself but he's put himself through tremendous physical hardships to try and make a name for himself and make some money in it. and I guess part of that is that he does kind of went off after this he didn't do a whole lot more of the kind of really violent horrible matches that you see here he did one or two towards the end of his career and I sort of came back occasionally for it when his kids were a bit older I suppose but after that he kind of seemed quite comfortable to go back into the kind of goofy almost comic relief roles as opposed to being this monster who gets thrown off you know, legitimately thrown off 20 foot cages onto a, an ounce table and breaking it and then further bump you see in this in Hell in a Cell match where he you know, pretty much brains himself on a chair that's in the ring and on the way down basically concusses himself and just you know, terrible, terrible things has happened to him just in, in a way to kind of make a name for himself and make some money. And I suppose for, he'll, he'll justify it as saying, well, that's worked. It's by taking these risks that he's he made a name for himself and was able to kind of retire relatively early uh, with a reasonable amount of money. Uh, but there's nothing like that covered at all in this film and mm-hmm. that's really a failing of the film yes. I think if, the wrestling, if you're a wrestling fan you'll see all this stuff and just like it because you can probably fill in about enough of the gaps with your own knowledge or experience or just general interest in the era if you've got no frame of reference for this at all there is really nothing at all to explain anything that's going on in for a lot of it there's obviously just sad characters like Jake Roberts in this you know, he, he's kind of re- back on the straight and narrow now but here he's just a, a colossal loser uh, a drugged up waste of space for the most part and it kind of hints at the sort of tragic backstory that kind of got him there but it never goes into any of it it just sort of hints at it and mentions it and there's all all these little glimpses of places around the corner that really you wish someone really got their teeth into this Um, whereas this is just this is just frosting and there's no cake to it uh, blaustein's not a good filmmaker and this isn't a good film that's why if you are into wrestling then like you say you're going to be able to fill in the blanks for yourself and i think you're going to enjoy this but if, like me, you are, you either have no interest in wrestling or you have antipathy towards it, mm-hmm. you're going to get nothing from this. I learned nothing from this film. And Parlage, it's a badly made film for all the reasons we've spoken about. And mm-hmm. because it's so unfocused as well as lacking any teeth at all. It's just, there are so many interesting things that could have been done with this film. There's, you could explore things like, yes, Jake the Snake Roberts' background, whether he is fairly atypical or whether perhaps there's a lot of people with his either background or certainly his lifestyle and his drug problems whether that maybe the the career attracts people like that or it causes that that's one road it doesn't go down there's it's less i expected to see more in this film actually but the physique of certainly most of the people that are featured heavily in this film they're all not really that fit whereas yeah. certainly now from the bits i've seen people have physiques much more like dwayne johnson's um you know very like bodybuilder physiques rather than yeah. big man physiques so i think maybe now the use of steroids and stuff is heavier than perhaps it was then because certainly, um, mick foley doesn't look like he's a big steroid abuser or anything like that you know yeah well there was plenty of roided up guys around about the time but i, th- I think this wasn't 
this was filmed not long after the whole steroid cases went to court and all that stuff. So there was probably enough of a stigma around that that one of the conditions for getting any sort of access at all would be not to mention that at all. Right. So that's probably why it's going with him rather than your guys like, I don't know, Andrew Martin, uh, Test, and all these other guys who later wound off to die of heart conditions that were almost certainly related to their use of steroids earlier in their career. Okay, so what's going on then? Because I'm... Yeah, just the yeah. the physique of the people you see, they're they're not like the the physique that I would associate with wrestling now no, from what I've seen. Yeah, not like the, the old sort of days of the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan and all these other guys who are muscles the size of your head, that <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, no. But um, but yeah, so that's another thing that could have gone down was was that was like the potential um abuse of drugs to keep in your sport or to keep at the top of this. Um, yeah. or alternatively, you could go on down a more positive route of you know what people maybe get from it yeah. um both as a fan um which i think is really should have been explored more and i was yeah. hoping for i really want to understand the appeal of this i don't see it i, I just think it's just it's ludicrous and not entertaining and it's, it's either clearly i don't want to use the word fakes it's not one but because if they pretend to be standing on someone or pretend to land on someone's face and get it wrong somebody's going to get really hurt so it's it's not fake in that way it's not authentic, and because I, I don't find that enjoyable at all. But then at the same point, when people are sort of ramping up things like people, as in you see in the wrestler we'll talk about soon, people stapling things to their head and cutting themselves with barbed wire and cutting themselves with razor blades, uh, and basically just always cranking up because the audience are always wanting more. And I, I would love an exploration of why. The wrestlers would do that to themselves and why I think it's settled and what is wrong with an audience that really wants to see people almost <laughs> die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again with the proviso, yes, I know and I like boxing and that's mm. a but, thing but I, I do think it's the sporting contest that sets that apart for me. But Well, I mean I think what what I'd say is right, you can argue about how successful it is and from your point, not very and I think for almost most of the but uh, I'd be agreeing with you for most of the stuff I've seen of recent years, but the the idea as an overarching concept, I think, behind wrestling is to kind of try and create the sort of narrative that you kind of retroactively fit to sporting events, but trying to engineer that. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, some of like the really sort of memorable boxing matches that aren't actually over in like the first round, where, you know, it's a, there's a back and forth and that kind of thing, and, and you're, you're never sure who's going to win. And, you know, there's the, it seems like, well, basically Rocky. You know, it seems like someone's going to lose, but they pull it out in the last second, or they make the, the comeback, but don't quite make it in the end. That They pull up just that dollar short or something, and then that's the interest for the next kind of round. That is what wrestling is trying to get into every match. Doesn't always work uh, for even people who like the sport, and if you don't like wrestling at all, or you can't really be invested in any of the characters, and obviously it's not going to work for you at all. Uh, but, I mean, that is, that's the general concept of it. Yeah. It's um, also the problem then, too, though. If you're trying to make every match like that, then then maybe that also explains why people just want more and more, because it in real sport, it doesn't happen like that all the time, which is when it does happen, it's more special. Yeah, and I think, actually, this is one of the, the things that having to crank up the quality of your product for the television, uh, the weekly television shows, kind of left them nowhere to go. Um, it used to be, if you watched wrestling in the old days, it was 
match after match of pointless squash matches that, that never really got anything because they were always keeping the main contenders away from each other until they got to the pay-per-view event because that's what you wanted the people to go and buy. Right. Whereas these days, they're trying to make every match special when basically you'll see the same match over and over again uh, throughout the course of a, a feud which might last for like three months or something like that. You, you just see, you keep seeing the same thing over and over again and it's very difficult to kind of keep levels of interest in it without cranking up the stakes that are involved each time. So you may have a standard match first time, and the next time round you have to do something that's a bit more spectacular. So we need to do a cage match where there's the expectation that someone's going to do something silly at the end of it, or you know there's a bit more violence involved, or you need to do a hardcore match to blow it off to kind of come to an end where there's you know weapons involved and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of I think where the escalation wound up coming from. Yeah, none of and which then, is in this film, though. No, um, but and, and when you start getting to the level of having weapons everywhere, you start point where that's now your baseline and that's really where the ecw stuff came in with the, the kind of more violent matches that you'll see where the, you know people are bleeding and stapling and all that kind of stuff and, and that was sort of everything cranked up to the max and you couldn't really go anywhere from that without actually killing someone so there's been a, a an effort to kind of rein that back in recently and it's a bit more sensibly paced now but uh, whether they managed to kind of, kind of evolve their storytelling to actually get people interested in the characters along with it i don't think they managed to do and that's why it's now in the bit of the doldrums at the minute um WWE is making a still making a, an awful lot of money, but um, it's nowhere near as culturally significant as it was back at the the heyday of the nineteen ninety nine uh, two thousand yeah. kind of era, and that's that's perhaps the shame of uh, Beyond the Map. Well, it's interesting for someone who already knows about it. It's really not going to do anything to educate anyone about yes, which is what I was any hoping aspect for. Of it. Um, really, yeah. I, again, I, I I don't like wrestling. I'm never going to like wrestling. I'm, it's not I'm going to be converted, but. I really have a desire to understand, or at least that somebody would make an attempt to explain to me what it is so many people like about it, and th- yeah. that f- this film does not do that. So I think it fails in that point of view, and it just fails as a well-made film because it's not. It, no, it's just it, going to smash together. And yeah, as you said, there's. I was talking about the threads too, and you had mentioned them too. Like, there's so many interesting threads that could potentially pick up, and it goes nowhere with. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And then, and there, there's things to it and i can't remember who it's about now but there's one point where some wrestlers introduced and they say uh he did this one match something and then that's it it's like they mentioned this random person basically for 30 seconds and like what what is that even doing in the film yeah it's got nothing to do with anything you either you either introduce this as an example of something or it's like, I was like uh, maybe people have heard of this wrestler let's talk about him here it's yeah so i think if you like wrestling there's a good chance you've seen this already but if you like wrestling and are familiar with the, the characters in it, particularly Jake the Snake Roberts, I think, or him and Mick Foley, they're, they're the two main featured people and they're interesting in different ways, then I think you're going to enjoy this film. But for some, a lay person, and simply on the stance of it being a film, it fails uh, for, for an introduction to wrestling for a lay person as a film. So if you're not interested in wrestling, do not watch this. You're going to get nothing out of it. Which is a pity, again, because really I wanted to get an insight into this, to learn something, because it's really quite popular. And a lot of people I know, uh, people who listen to our podcast, and a lot of people, for instance, that I follow on Twitter, really into wrestling. And I've never understood the appeal, and I was hoping that this would, at least a little, show me. And I watched it, and I'm like, eh, okay. Oh, it's over now, and I'm none the wiser. Thanks thanks for that, Blaustein, you've done nothing there. Whereas, and we'll come to it soon, the fictional film... <laughs> That seems very similar in some ways to the the trajectory, particularly of Jake the Snake Roberts. I think in this, um, yeah, does a much much better job of yeah. of explaining some of that to me. Yes, well, I just don't think yes, Beyond uh, the Mat's a good film. 
Yeah, I'm actually forced to agree. It's, it's interesting, particularly for wrestling fans, but I mean, it's certainly not a good film, and I couldn't recommend it as a, a film to anyone outside of the world. Uh, it's annoying that he doesn't get anywhere near his stated aim of working out why people do these kind of things. Um, if you are more interested in that kind of stuff, I suppose I'd probably more recommend something like uh, Mick Foley's first book, which he did actually write himself. He's and he's a you know funny and entertaining guy. So his um, first book is worth looking at, which is his Have a Nice Day, I think was the name of the first book that he did. Um, kind of an autobiography of him getting into his, starting up his career and getting up to you know more or less the point where this film would start, give or take. And that's uh, an interesting read and quite funny in places probably does a better job of explaining why someone would get into it than it's certainly anything that happens in this film. So, in a, in a lot of ways, this is just a missed opportunity of a film. Mm. As I say, he gets the kind of access that no one had before, and it would be nice to see him actually ask questions of the guys like Vince McMahon and all these other you know, top-level guys, where he doesn't seem to actually have done anything. He's just there. Um, he's just had a backstage pass and uh, permission to throw a camera in people's faces and doesn't really done an awful lot with it. So yeah, yeah um, kind of agree. I, I do still en- enjoy watching it, but that's more just because I was uh, watching it at the time. It's actually not a great film in, in the cold light of day. but uh, It needs to have been made yeah. by a journalist. I yeah. really think it, it does. I mean, and not with any particular agenda, but just with that sort of insight and and just the the teeth that a good journalist would have to ask the yeah. difficult questions where they're appropriate. I mean, a good document here. I want to see Louis Theroux does wrestling. You know, I think yeah. that would maybe get down to the the <laughs> nitty gritty of it much better than this guy who's basically he's just he's a fan who got lucky and yeah, stuck that, a bunch a, of footage together. He's a fan who's happy to be there. It isn't rocking the boat very much. Seems to be the message of it all. And anything controversial or interesting he's uncovered, he's done so almost by mistake. Yep. I mean, I don't think he ever went in with the intention of uncovering any dark secrets about Jake Snake Roberts. It was just that he seemed happy enough just to spurt it out when he was uh, <laughs> coked up to the eyeballs. Yeah. Um, There's even uh, there are other wee bits too that even just with a wee bit of tweaking, at least would give you a bit more insight into into the business. For instance, like the. He follows the two guys to their WWE edition. Mm. And then they're not mentioned again for the whole rest of the film until the yes. end when he says they never heard from WWE. It's like, yeah, yeah well, that's kind of a dick move. You know, that they yeah. didn't even say, oh, no, we're not interested or something. So maybe follow up on that and say, did some research and it turns out, you know, maybe 80% of wrestlers who audition never hear anything back at all. And say, is that a problem with the way the business works? Is it a problem with Vince McMahon's company? Is that just how things work? And for anybody, any wrestlers in this, want to be professional wrestlers for any of the companies they might want to work with, the promotion, the promoters, that's typical. And it's just something people have to put up with. You know, it's, mm-hmm. you could just give so much more information just by even a couple of sentences more. And it's yeah. just, I think it's got no interest in it. Um, or yes. I don't know, maybe doesn't have the ability, but I think he just doesn't have the interest. He's like, I'm a wrestling fan. And I got to see all this stuff. Isn't it great? Yeah. So it's a it's a fan film. So if you're a fan, you'll like it. But uh, yeah, it's a serious work. It does have its problems. I think harsher questions are probably asked in Wrestling with Shadows, the kind of documentary about uh, Bret the Hitman Hart, which might be better as a character study. But um, for Beyond the Mat didn't quite live up to how I kind of remembered it. It's, it's certainly not really explaining as much as it would like to. Uh, I think, as I mentioned earlier, if, you, if you've got an, a working knowledge of what was going on at the time, you can probably fill in a lot by yourself from stuff that's kind of come out in various court cases and just people talking about it since then. 
and that might make it a better film in your head if you can kind of retroactively fill in all that detail that Blaustein's left out. In the same way that, like, uh, David Lynch's Dune film, because I can fill in all the detail that he's left out and make sense of it because I've read the book <laughs> and I like the book. Um, so, yeah, if you like Dune, then give this a go. <laughs> Disappointed you couldn't get more out of that, but um, I suppose it's as good a, good a time as any to talk into Darren Aronofsky's The Wrestler. As the camera pans across press clippings, flyers and photographs of a career in professional wrestling, we hear audio describing an epic fight between Randy the Ram Robinson and the Ayatollah, a contest for the ages that was sure to confer legendary status upon its participants. But, popular as the event may have been at the time, it was in the 1980s, before the likes of WWE had the reach and, more importantly, the monetary success that it enjoys nowadays. As the audio finishes, we see the Ram, Mickey Rourke, 20 years later, in the present, recovering after taking part in a low-rent event in a crappy venue, seemingly being stiffed over his fee. This is the reality for the Ram now, taking part in third-tier contests in provincial locations, the has-beens versus the wannabes, and trying to scrape together enough money to pay for his trailer park home and for the steroids and painkillers he needs to push his broken and battered body through another fight, so that he can pay for the steroids to get through another fight, and so on. He makes up some of the shortfalls shifts in the supermarket, but it's clear that wrestling is all that Randy knows, or cares to know. It was, and is, his life, and he can see nothing else for himself. But wrestling, like most intense physical activity, is a young man's game, and after repeatedly pushing his body, punishing it, and damaging it with growth hormones, steroids and other, more recreational substances, his body shows Randy it has had enough by giving him a heart attack. The Ram is a tortured soul, much of which is of his own doing, and he is a complicated person. And a combination of superb performance and excellent writing both portray this complexity and make our relationship with the Ram equally complex. It's very easy to feel sorry for Rourke's character. He's lonely, sad, unable to let go of the one thing in his life at which he excelled, but whose time has come and gone. He seems generous of time and spirit with the other members of the wrestling circuit, giving genuine praise and advice to the younger men beginning their careers, and with no hint of rancour or ego. The closest thing that he has to a friend is a lap dance at a local club, Cassidy, played by Marisa Tomai, who seems to have some affection for him, but while Randy clearly wants something more, is still a friend who Randy pays $60 a time to spend time with him. And then there is his daughter, Stephanie, Evan Rachel Wood. Or, rather, there isn't his daughter, and she's not been a big feature of the Ram's life, something he tries to remedy after his heart attack and his enforced decision to retire from wrestling. But, he's a bad person. Not an evil person, not by any stretch. But he's not a good guy. It's all too easy to forget that, especially when you see his camaraderie with the other wrestlers, or his first shift at the deli counter when you understand that he's a born showman and who is capable of putting a smile on a stranger's face just by how he interacts with them in that fleeting moment in which their lives coincide. But he wasn't there for his daughter. He abandoned his child. So f*** that guy. And... Then there's the unacceptable way in which he responds to Cassidy declining to take the spark of a relationship between them any further. Despite this though, it's difficult not to be shocked by his outburst in the supermarket, or to not wish fervently that he not go through with his return to the ring. 
Robert Siegel's script, director Darren Aronofsky's intimate but not intrusive camera, and Rourke's nuanced and raw performance all engender sympathy for and interest in this flawed and believably painfully human character. While The Wrestler has no impact on my regard, or total lack thereof, for professional wrestling, it paints a compelling portrait of a damaged individual unable to let go of the past and his former glories, but doesn't necessarily condemn him for it. Though the scene in which the Ram hawks his autographs for a few bucks in an empty community centre, surrounded by ex-wrestlers who look more like war veterans than people who lived their lives in latex and in the spotlight, does at least raise the question that some of his and their choices have been dubious at best. With the caveat that my experience of his work is relatively limited, and while I've never rated him highly in most of what I've seen, this is Mickey Rourke's career-defining performance, and, frankly, a performance that would define the careers of most actors. Evan Rachel Wood gives a solid turn as Stephanie, but the other acting standout is Marisa Tomei as... Pam stroke Cassidy, who, like Randy, is struggling with the enforced end of a career in which her body was the focus and which now, for different reasons, is unable to provide what was asked of it in the past. Darren Aronofsky is not known for his upbeat films, but while... (laughs) (laughs) That's saying something, right? Uh, But while not bleak in the way that, say, the super-duper happy clappy Requiem for a Dream is... (laughs) It may actually be his most downbeat film because of just how well realised and authentic the Ram is as a character. Yet, by the same token, it is also uplifting in some ways. Like its main character, the wrestler is complicated. It's arguably Aronofsky's best film, and almost certainly his most accessible and rewarding. And even if, like me, you're put off by wrestling, I heartily encourage you to check out The Wrestler if you haven't seen it before. Yeah, one of my favourite films of 2008, and I think time's only grown its stature, actually. Um, I probably liked it even more this time than I did first time Yes, around. I found the same, uh, actually, that it, I enjoyed it more. Actually, uh, it's worth mentioning, I was watching this when I hadn't had much sleep, I've not slept well the last couple of days, and I thought, oh, well, I'm going to watch the rest again. I'll watch a wee bit, then I'll go to sleep, and to the point where, actually, I... Could have been propping up my eyelids with matchsticks just because I, I didn't actually want I'd been desperate for sleep for days and I got to the point where I was desperate I thought I'll actually fall asleep now and I didn't want to stop watching the wrestler so I consider that a good recommendation sorry Scott I interrupted you yeah. no, no I have no uh, issue with anything you've said for the most part uh, the film is of course centred around that terrific performance from Mickey Rourke and it's thrown a loaned extra poignancy by Rourke's arguably parallel career path uh, to Randy. Um, he's gone from handsome leading man to a nearly forgotten actor who looks like an elbow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do have seen some prettier elbows than Mickey Rourke has looked at <laughs> times. This was around about the point, you know, between this and Sin City and Iron Man 2, we hoped there'd be a bit of a career resurgence for him, but, you know, that said, he's now appearing in modern classics like Weaponized, a film where a grieving father attempts to unleash a robotic virus that he believes will destroy the terrorist cell that murdered his son at an unimaginable cost. There are no critic reviews yet for Weaponized. Um, but the film itself, I really love The Wrestler. Uh, it, it helps with these sort of character studies to have a really interesting character, and Randy's certainly that. You know, he, he's the kind of guy, as you mentioned, he, he seems like a decent, personable, likeable guy, but he's just someone who can't stop making a tit of things. <laughs> yes. I don't think he's... 
he's bad judged from outside, you know, by his sort of cumulative efforts. But I, I don't think there's ever any intentionality behind most of it. It seems like he just keeps making terrible decisions at the worst possible time. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree um, with you. That's maybe not intentionality, but it doesn't excuse abandoning your child. No, um, you can't abandon abandon your boy. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, you can't. You can't do that. But yeah, um, he he just seems to have the sort of decision making that you'd expect from someone yeah. who gets hit with steel chairs for a living. There's no malice in him. I think that's fair to <laughs> yeah. say. Yes, I mean, yeah. well, I I suppose it's not evil. Um, He's yeah. he's a bad person who's who should have done better because you know if you have a child then that's you yeah, take responsibility. Responsibility, but, yeah. but yes, there's no malice, which means you you can sympathise with him in some ways. And it's not like he's a a sociopath or anything. He's not going out yeah. of his way to hurt people. Um, again, not that's excuse because people get hurt because they not necessarily because they intend to hurt people, but because they don't try yeah. hard enough not to. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, there, there's no malice in them, so you can sympathise and empathise with the character. Yeah, it's typical Darren Aronofsky miserableism, isn't it? Uh, you know, even to the extent when Randy's given what you might think of like this triumphant speech, but just before that film's final match, it's still just a very enthusiastic certificate of how tragic his life is, <laughs> um, and how he's completely unable to change it. But uh, Or perhaps unwilling to change it might be a better term, because as presented, it's kind of tempting to side with him. Uh, I mean, who doesn't want a career doing what they love and pursuing it perhaps, say, on the first 10th and 20th of each month, uh, even after the universe would have seemed told us that it's not going to happen as a full-time career? Uh, but it, it's the only thing he's known, it's the only thing he's ever been any good at, as you point out, and he just wants to keep that going. And it's tough to really criticise someone for that, even despite what it's doing to his body, which is... You know, it's, it's just a really complicated film um, in, in terms of relationship between this and you know Beyond the Mat and Randy's a character that's sort of somewhere between Terry Funk and uh, Jake Roberts. He's mm-hmm. just just unwilling to quit despite all the medical advice, but with that sort of hint of self-destruction just sort of mixed in um, almost unconsciously. By by various turns, it's Aronofsky's most upbeat and depressing film. Uh, that's what I've seen. It's, um, <laughs> it's because... The, it does feel so so human um, mm. that the the downbeat parts this they're more affecting because it it does almost feel like it could be a documentary, um, yeah. and that was why the, the upbeat bits work as well. Um, yeah, because yeah, Requiem for a Dream it's it's bleak but it's not in any way real. That's like always guess with this film. It's it's even when it's at its most upbeat, it's also at its most depressing, <laughs> which is a great trick. Um, not particularly that but just as i mentioned with that speech where he's going he's talking about how yeah, this is all that you know you guys you're all my true family and all that stuff you know it's tempting to kind of go yeah and then you kind of realize the implications of that and you go oh yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah really because this and it's why also if you set aside the daughter issue because at least by this point in his life she's an adult um and she has her own life and she's and if she's done with him so i think it probably yeah. wouldn't affect her anymore but he is on his own so if he goes out like on his terms and does even if this sport is killing him or this um mm. whatever you want to call it business is killing him, then because he doesn't have any dependents, he's not really getting anywhere to go, that's okay. But then at the same time, that's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. It's that yeah, and as you're saying, he's saying you're my true family to the fans who, you know, have paid their twenty dollars to get into the event, but probably I'm going to think about it again for several months afterwards and didn't think about it several months before before really thinking about yeah. this. Yeah, you think that he probably means it. 
Yeah. And that's it's heartbreaking, really. But yes, at the same point, where this film succeeds and the beyond the map which had access to real people, him fails is like you. Well, it doesn't explain what I would want, which is why people enjoy. I mean, you can't always explain why people enjoy things, but like from the fan point of view, it's not there. But the wrestler does such a good job of explaining why this wrestler does it, or at least why this wrestler keeps doing this. Yeah. Why he does these things to himself that was so noticeably absent and beyond the mat. Yes, if, if nothing else, it's brought Darren Aronofsky back to the forefront. I'm very looking forward to seeing his upcoming film, Mother. Um, I've, and I will have to go back and watch things like Noah and uh, The Fountain, which I've kind of skipped over. I wouldn't bother uh, watching Noah. I was, I, I still probably will. If anything. I just find him an interesting filmmaker, if anything else. He's got an eye for things that aren't quite as cut and dry as most of the other things that are kind of knocking around in Hollywood just now so that's it's always interesting to see you know perhaps no accepted I suppose from <laughs> the trailer didn't look all that uh, enticing which is probably why I gave that one a wide berth but yeah he's, he's I've liked him ever since I saw was subjected I suppose to pie <laughs> at an early age uh one of my uh, a favorite uh, film from university days which is just a, a striking work which was for a long time my favorite um, Aronofsky film this is probably better, having looked at them both again pretty recently uh, for this podcast. This is uh, one of the better films of, of the decade, I would say. It's weird, I mean, it's, it'd be quite easy to dismiss, well, not dismiss the wrestler, but maybe sort of undermine it a little by saying it's quite conventional in some ways, and that structure-wise, it's similar to a lot of, a lot of other films, um, and even maybe something more like a rock even as there's almost some yeah, of that silly and maybe uh, rocky balboa not so much rocky yeah. but rocky balboa by the time that sequence was coming to an end yeah. there's something of that structure in there but there's no fair emotionality or sentimentality in the wrestler yeah very little judgment either yeah um and it's also i mean it's also simply just very very well made but there are little touches in there that that make it slightly different from the norm mm-hmm you don't necessarily have to be so different. There's nothing wrong with it following a, a fairly well-worn structure if you do it well, and this is done exceptionally well. Um, yeah. It's just um, Robert Siegel's written a, a really interesting character that's been portrayed really well and directed perfectly, and it doesn't need any great twist. Any like great deviation from that, from that structure is going to stop it being so realistic, actually, because why it works is because it just feels like all the the contradictions that are in so many humans is why it feels so real and that's all the more affecting for us you don't need to do any much there's emotion in there but it's it's raw and it's real but it's not sentimental yeah and everything's just measured just right it's absolutely one of the best films of the the 2000s yeah um certainly from from Hollywood, and but it stands up against a lot of other stuff from that decade all over the world that I've certainly I've seen. I guess mild recommendation is what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, definitely. If you've not seen it, it's an absolute must see, and not that it's got a lot of competition. Obviously, the best fictional wrestling film that there is, because there is the wrestler, and then there is the widest gap you can possibly imagine, and then there is no hold bars, which is the drizzling. And of a variety of contenders with it. Nacho so, Libre. Yes. Ready to rumble the terrible WCW vehicle and horrible, horrible things. Um, yes, the, the wrestler is absolutely fantastic. And if you haven't seen it, rectify that forthwith. Yes. We will brook no argument. Yes, that will wrap us up uh, for today. But before we go, 
some feedback from the old Twitters when we put out a question on what we what you thought of these films. I guess uh, the first slot coming in from um, Son- at Sonic Yoda on Twitter, uh, who loves Beyond the Bat, but feels like the scene where Foley's family are watching the match uh, and getting distressed is a bit contrived, which uh, we did a sort of cover there in a review, and he thinks that the wrestler is outstanding, it's restrained for an Aronofsky as well, just lets the characters carry the drama, and indeed he does. At Tengushi, I think that both films are great. Watch Jake the Snake interview from Beyond the Mat and then the resurrection of Jake the Snake documentary. Tears, feels. Not watch that documentary, although I do know the, the general gist of his redemption. He's basically off the crack, which more or less the uh, the gist of it. And uh, shacked up with a fellow wrestler, Diamond Dallas Page, and doing his yoga to get him off the, keep him on the straight and narrow. Also from uh, at Sonic Yoda, Outsta, just saying, outstanding performance from Mickey Rourke, who he doesn't usually rate as well, which uh, I believe is in complete, complete agreement with Drew. Also from Stu at the Films and Swearing podcast, at FAS Podcast on Twitter. Can't remember enough about Beyond the Mat, but wholeheartedly recommends The Resurrection of Jake the Snake documentary on Netflix. So, yes, uh, another hit for that. And also something in from Lee Millen, uh, the magician. That's at the Lee Millen on Twitter, who mentions that Beyond the Mat is great. A bit depressing, but, and yes, it, it actually is <laughs> in a lot of regards. I assume that all of these people that are saying Beyond the Mat is great are people who are fans of wrestling because I, it's just not great um, for me. And I think. Unless you like wrestling, I don't think you're going to get a lot out of it. So, are all of you people who have been kind enough to write in about this, are you wrestling fans? That's what I'd like to know. I suspect so. I know all of those bar one of them definitely are wrestling fans, and I suspect the other one would be as well. Yeah, yes, I, I know um, <laughs> Dingushi and, and Sonic Yoda yes. certainly are. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there's enough mentions of wrestling on the Films and Swearing podcast for me to get the hint that they're, <laughs> they're on board with the WWF train. So yeah, yeah, I think it probably just backs up what I was getting across earlier if you if you are a fan of wrestling and particularly of that time period then it's great to see that sort of thing being covered just because you don't often get that sort of thing being covered however if you want any kind of more broad applicability i really don't think it's got it if if i'm being coldly analytical about it and put that part of my you know nostalgia brain aside so that will wrap us up for today we'll be back on the 20th with another general catch up podcast uh, but until then I have been Scott Morris and I'm sure that Drew Tamendale is still Drew Tamendale it would be foolish of me to deny that <laughs> so until next time take care of yourself and each other